This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. The more hops you add uh, when you dry hop, usually the worse the foam. If you go from two days to five days to 20 days, the beer foam just gets worse the longer the beer sits on the hops. Have you ever noticed that the more you dry hop, the worse your foam is? This week on the show, we take a deep dive into the relationship between hops and foam stability and talk about some of the hop products brewers can use to improve their foam. Yeah, hi, this is uh, John Paul May. I'm the uh, technical director at Hop Steiner. The phrase hops are foam positive was drilled into my head a long time ago, probably in school or maybe by brewers who used foam enhancing hop products. While there's some truth in that statement, it's not quite the experience of modern day brewers who do a lot of dry hopping, is it? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So there are some things that we know enhance foam. Let's talk about those first. Yeah, well, uh, ice alpha acids uh, enhance foam as well as alpha acids, which is kind of interesting because um, no one really thought of looking at alpha acids to enhance foam because uh, during the brewing process, when you add hops in the brew kettle, uh, very little of the alpha acids make it into the final beer. Uh, Alpha acids are fairly nonpolar, and so they're not really very, I shouldn't say that. They're actually very soluble in beer, but they stick to the yeast, all right? And so, therefore, they usually, maybe one or two ppm, if you're lucky, make it through fermentation. And that's not enough to enhance foam. However, uh, because we have a downstream hop processing plant, we can take CO2 hop extract. We can selectively isolate the alpha acids from the other components in the hop extract, formulate it into a 20% solution in water as a potassium salt, and then it can be added post-fermentation, and voila, you can get some really nice uh, foam-enhancing effects uh, by adding the alpha acids. Without the bitterness. Exactly, without the, without the bitterness, So, uh, which is kind of key uh, if you're making a low-bitter beer. 
Uh, you don't want to change the flavor by adding another foam enhancing hot product like Tetra, which does add bitterness and can substantially change the flavor of your beer, uh, especially if you're making a low bitter beer. John Paul, we know from the conversation we had way back on episode four that dry hopping decreases ISO and increases humulinone and and alpha acids. Uh, theoretically, what effects should that have on foam? You sh- it should be foam positive because uh, you're adding, I mean, it, some of these dry hop beers can have as much as, you know, 15, 20 parts per million alpha acid, especially the hazies. Uh, we've seen alpha as high as like, you know, even, geez, I think like even 35 or 40 uh, ppm. So okay. uh, you should get some really serious foam enhancement. And actually, we kind of demonstrated that with uh, some of the work we did in that uh, dry hopping uh, and its effect on beer foam uh, research. And that was a poster that you presented during the 2016 uh, World Brewing Congress. Uh, talk, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, we did an enormous amount of work on uh, dry hopping and its effects on beer bitterness, aroma, uh, flavor, and uh, beer foam. And so uh, because there was so much work involved with all those various facets, uh, we decided to focus uh, just one poster on the dry hopping's effect on beer foam. And essentially what we found is that the more hops you add uh, when you dry hop, usually the worse the foam. Also, we found that the longer you dry hop, so like if you go from two days to five days to 20 days, the beer foam just gets worse the longer the beer sits on the hops. Um, and we did a lot of this work uh, using uh, Cascade hops, uh, which is, you know, what we thought most craft brewers use for dry hopping. I mean, they use all different varieties, of course, but that's a very common and popular uh, variety for dry hopping. So we decided to look at other hop varieties. And surprisingly, what we found is that uh, Cascade was just consistently one of the worst uh, when it comes to beer foam, uh, whereas uh, many of the other hop varieties, they may have detracted from the beer foam. Again, it depends on, again, the contact time and, and how many pounds per barrel you're adding. But we actually saw a, a couple of hop varieties that actually enhanced beer foam as long as you uh, dry hop no more than about you know two or three days. Uh, you could actually get a improvement in beer foam. And that's uh, actually kind of interesting because we that was one of the things that kind of spurred us into this area is when I would talk with craft brewers about their foam in their dry hop beers, a lot of them said, oh, we've got you know, like terrible foam in our dry hop beers. And then we'd have others that say, no, our, our beer foam is actually pretty good, even though we dry hop. And so that's kind of what led us into this uh, into this study. Okay. And when you saw that, when you first saw just the, the you know, negative impact that Cascade had uh, dry hopping, um, you know, that was sort of counterintuitive, right? Because, you know, we just talked about how, you know, okay, you're, you're adding alpha, you know, and that should, um, and you're adding humulinone and, and that, that those, you know, that, that balance should theoretically help you. So you then went and did some trials where you you isolated these things, and so you added specifically uh, thirty ppm of of ISO, and then you did that again with with um, that with the ISO plus humanones and, and so on. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that work? Yeah. Um, so what we did is we took a, a beer uh, and we uh, measured its beer foam, and then we dry hopped it with uh, one pound per barrel of uh, Cascade. And we got a big drop in the uh, in the foam. 
Uh, so then what we did is we took that same uh, kind of base beer and we reduced the, uh, the ISO content on it. So it was similar to that of the dry hop beer. So the, the original beer was 48 ppm isoalpha acids. And after dry hopping, uh, it dropped to about 30 uh, ppm isoalpha acids. So what we did is we, we took that uh, kind of base beer and we uh, brewed it so it contained 30 ppm of isoalpha acids. And when we measured the foam, even though the amount of iso was the same as in the dry hop beer, uh, that beer actually had better foam than the dry hop beer. Uh, we also then took that 30 ppm beer and we added uh, 7 ppm of humulinones because the dry hop beer also had 17 uh, parts per million of humulinones. And one of the things that was interesting was that even though 17 ppm is a lot of hop acid, uh, the foam improvement was very subtle. Uh, and so what that told us was that humulinones are not very good at enhancing foam. However, when we took that 30 ppm ISO beer and added uh, the 19 ppm of alpha acids, which was how, many, how much alpha acids was in the dry hop beer, the foam was so much better than even the uh, control beer. Uh, and so that, again, proves that alpha acids are very good at enhancing foam. However, there's something when you when you dry hop that actually negates the foam uh, and overrides. Yeah, there's something else going on there, yeah. Yeah, and we think it's probably just uh, the fatty acids in the hops. And uh, we actually tried to look at, um, and we actually sent out quite a few uh, hop varieties out for fatty acid analysis to try to see if, you know, we could see some, you know, significant differences between the fatty acid composition of Cascade uh, versus uh, something like uh, Eureka. Eureka was one of those varieties that actually enhanced foam. And so, but we, we really couldn't find anything that was substantially different. So, uh, but we think it's just something about the fatty acid composition. If you think about dry hopping, you know, we're essentially using ethanol produced by fermentation as a solvent to extract hop oil and oil sounds like something that might negatively impact foam right so i mean it probably wasn't a, too much of a mental leap for you guys to go looking at at fatty acids and stuff right 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 and and fatty acids are also known uh to be uh foam negative uh that's you know you know over there in uh, england um you know they they brew those uh you know cask ales and their beers have very poor foam and the reason their foam is so poor isn't so much that they're dry hopping but um but what they do over there in the uk is when they grow hops uh they grow hops uh with male plants in the field which is a real no-no here in the states as well as in germany all right. Uh, in fact, we go to great lengths to make sure there's no male plants anywhere around, because what happens if you grow hops in the presence of males is that the hops will uh, develop seeds and the seeds are very high in fatty acids. The reason uh, the farmers over in the UK uh, grow hops in the presence of male plants is because you can get as much as a 10 to 15 percent yield improvement when you grow male hops in the presence of female hops. That being said, their hops contain a lot of seeds and those seeds are very high in fatty acids. And that's primarily reason why, you know, their dry hop beers are, uh, have really crappy uh, foam. You know? Huh, that's so, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Okay, so um, I guess uh, let's talk more about these the differences you found in you know the in the the different hop varieties affecting foam differently than others. Tell us more about that and kind of what you've seen with various hop varieties. Yeah, we didn't do a very extensive look, uh, but we did find, like I said, that Cascade uh, was by far the, the worst. And a lot of the other varieties seem, again, but it's all dependent on how long you dry hop. So right. we, we do a standard dry hop time of about two or, or, or I should say about three days. Okay. Uh, but we do know that after four or five days, um, you know, your foam will get will get worse so like when we looked at varieties like centennial and bravo bravo you know if you dry hop for three days with them they didn't negatively impact the foam or improve it but if you go more than that then they started to become foam negative and the same thing with like apollo and eureka those were varieties that greatly enhanced the foam uh but um yeah but what we what we saw was it, it enhanced the foam at, at about two to three days of dry hopping. Uh, and then it took about another five days before it, the foam got to be worse than the control. So even foam positive varieties will eventually become foam negative if the contact time is, you know, you know, more than let's say five to seven days. Hmm. Okay. Um, so talk about the role that temperature might play the beer temperature. Yeah, um, when there's an instrument called the Nibom foam uh, stability tester, and it's considered the industry standard because it's very reproducible. Uh, One of the problems with the machine or one of the problems I have with the machine is that they ask you to test the beer at room temperature. And the reason they do that is because they know uh, differences in temperature will affect beer foam. So they figure in order to eliminate variability, if you run all your tests at room temperature, then you, you have eliminated that, that temperature problem. Uh, however, beer is served cold and not warm or room temperature. And so if you run those same beers at you know cold temperatures, all of a sudden the, the foam becomes a lot better. <laughs> and so what we ended up doing as part of our work in this area is we would run the test at room temperature, but then also run it at like uh, at refrigerated temperature in which beer is served. And we always found that the foam was always better. However, that being said, Cascades foam really didn't improve that much. Uh, whereas like, you know, Centennial and Bravel became essentially, you know, no change in beer foam. Um, and it only helped the Apollo and Eureka varieties uh, in terms of temperature. So. Okay. That's cool. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, I've noticed that a lot of New England IPAs don't have great foam compared to most West Coast IPAs. And I guess based on what we've just said, that sort of makes sense because we're talking about far lower amounts of ISO. Um, but in most cases, there's probably you're probably adding quite a lot of alpha acid from, from the high dry hopping. Um, I guess in those cases, even with potentially a lot of alpha, the scale is just still tipped more towards foam negative due to all of the oil that's introduced by the heavy dry hopping rates? Yeah, yeah, I believe that's that's the case. Um, <clears throat> what's really interesting and one of the things we learned about these hazy IPAs is that the haze actually solubilizes a lot of nonpolar compounds that you would either not see in a regular IPA or if you did see them in a regular IPA, uh, the concentrations 
uh, in the regular IPA are significantly lower. I mean, to give you an example, I mean, we would we could we'd measure as much as five thousand parts per million of mercine <laughs> in a New England IPA versus maybe you know five or ten parts per million mercine in a uh, West Coast style IPA. So, as you solubilize a lot of these hop oils that are not normally very soluble in the beer. And the other thing, too, is those uh, New England IPAs also solubilize a lot of beta acids. Uh, I was shocked. Yeah, like I said earlier, most beer contains little to no beta acids. But we had some New England IPAs that had as much as, you know, 14 ppm beta acid. And uh, the average had four. So as we were talking about earlier in this poster, we found that even, you know, one and a half ppm of beta acid can reduce the knee bomb foam by about 20 seconds. So imagine what four ppm of beta acid will do, plus all that hop oil. So yeah. that's probably, the, yeah, the reason why those beers are uh, not very, you know, foam enhancing. Coming up. When you go over that uh, 20 IBUs, then all of a sudden uh, the alpha doesn't seem to do as much, whereas the tetra always seems to improve foam regardless of the uh, starting IBUs. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, Try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer, Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. HS Sativa, brought to you by BSG Hop Solutions. Meet the latest in the BSG Hop Solutions portfolio, HS Sativa. Strong expressions of stone fruit, floral, and resinous pine flavors and aromas define this blend. Crafted specifically for use in hazy IPAs and other hop-forward beers. HS Sativa is ideal for aroma, whirlpool, and dry hop additions to hazy and juicy IPAs or for any other hoppy styles where a combination of citrus, tropical fruit, and pine aromatics are desired. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more, or call 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention, and that's Fermentis, a global supplier of active dry yeast. You can listen to Kevin and Marcelo talk about the shelf life and performance of active dry yeast on episode 93. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. 
July 20th, join John Harris, Kevin Davey, and Andy Morrison for a webinar called Cold IPA Defined, a deep dive with the creators. And the Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course starts August 15th. I really hope we get some in-person district meetings on the calendar soon. There's one big meeting that's on my calendar. I hope it's on yours. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. And don't forget the world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins October 31st. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, united we brew. back to the show. All right, let's talk about hot products that are used for the purpose of improving beer foam. Um, first, give us the range, uh, then let's go through them one by one and hear about how they're made and how they work. Yeah, well, I guess we start with the very first one, actually, and that is the tetrahydro isoalpha acid. Um, some uh, researchers uh, back in, I guess it was the 60s or 70s, uh, found that if you uh, hydrogenate uh, isoalpha acids with uh, hydrogen gas and palladium on carbon catalyst, you can reduce the two double bonds on the isoalpha acid molecule and add four hydrogens. So you're at, that's why they call it tetrahydro, four hydrogens. And the uh, tetrahydro, uh, because it's so much more nonpolar than isoalpha acids, that even as little as three to four parts per million added to the beer will enhance the foam and the lacing uh, of your beer. And so uh, that product, uh, I was very fortunate to be uh, a technical manager at Pfizer, uh, their brewery ingredients division, when that product was first being marketed. And uh, as a maybe a side note, my job for about four years was to travel to almost every brewery on the planet <laughs> and give presentations on our specialty hot products and how they can enhance, you know, foam and, and light stability and, and such. But then we also made the Hexa product, which is uh, the Tetra product where we do a sodium borohydride reduction to reduce now that carbonyl group. And so that made a hexahydro isoalpha acid product. And that too is foam enhancing and it's every bit as foam enhancing as Tetra. Um, the only difference between it and Tetra is that it has a different bitterness profile associated with it. And that was kind of one of the other neat things about these reduced hop acids is that not only did they enhance the foam and uh, they were light stable, but uh, they also had a different bitterness profile. So now a brewer had a way to kind of manipulate uh, the bitterness uh, of, of his beer using these various uh, products. Okay. Talk, say more about that. What's, what is the difference between a bitterness profile for, for Tetra versus Hexa? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> let's maybe start with ISO. We've always described ISO as kind of having a uh, harsh lingering 
uh, all around the mouth type of bitterness. Uh, whereas Tetra has kind of an upfront, uh, sharp, non-lingering bitterness. And then the Hexa is got a bitterness profile, maybe a little bit more like uh, Icewalta acid. It has a little bit of the side, harsh of the tongue, uh, lingering bitterness. And so uh, brewers who were perhaps making a low IBU beer, uh, when they would use Tetra, it greatly changed the flavor of their beer. Because, you know, if they were making, let's say, a 10 IBU beer, you know, and you're adding four ppm of I, of tetra for that for, foam enhancement. Well, they would normally reduce uh, their bittering in the kettle by four ppm, uh, you know, of ISO, and uh, t- so you know they wouldn't change the beer from ten to fourteen, uh, which would be a noticeable difference in bitterness. But by doing that, though, they found that their beer tasted completely different, you know. And so uh, if they use the Hexa product uh, instead, uh, they found that the bitterness profile would be a lot closer to the original beer. Then actually not that long ago, although maybe I'm dating myself, but around, you know, the early 2000s, uh, you know, we at Steiner learned that alpha acids added to beer post-fermentation uh, could be foam enhancing. And so, uh, uh, and and like I said, like we talked about earlier, one of the neat things about alpha acids is you can add as much as, you know, 10, 15, 20 parts per million to your beer and you won't taste any increase in bitterness. And so like Tetra, though, you only need about four or five ppm in your beer uh, to enhance uh, the, the the foam and the lacing of your beer. And again, the nice thing about that is you don't have to change how much hops you add in the kettle. When I was in brewing school, I remember some of my classmates from Ambev identifying beers made with Tetra just by looking at the foam because it looks a little bit different. Talk about that. Yeah, you see, and people would sometimes refer to it as a hockey puck or or it looks styrofoam-like, but those were beers that are generally uh, lower in IBU, so uh, usually like in that 10 to 15 ppm isoalpha acid range. And so when you, when you brew a beer with only 10 or 15 IBUs, usually the foam isn't that outstanding. Uh, the other thing too is usually those beers contain a lot of adjuncts. So uh, uh, their, their, their protein content is lower. And uh, anyway, so when you brew a beer that's high in adjuncts, you know, relatively low in IBUs and you add uh, Tetra or Hexa, the foam could start to look a lot like, you know, is synthetic or plastic or uh, hockey puck like. Um, however, once you get to beers that are usually over twenty ppm uh, and they're all malt, uh, then you know adding tetra uh, doesn't give you that fake looking foam anymore. Okay, so uh, talk talk more about when and how brewers should make uh, tetra or hexa additions. Yeah, well, you definitely want to do it uh, after fermentation. Uh, you get your best efficiencies. Uh, we do know some craft brewers, and believe it or not, even some large brewers that uh, find post-fermentation hop addition challenging. So they'll just add it to the brew kettle, and and you can do that, but your utilization will only be about twenty percent. So only twenty percent of the hop acid you add in the kettle will make it to the final beer. But and that's because a lot of it is sticking to yeast, or is it for for a different reason? yeast and because there's a lot of carb you know co2 being produced during fermentation uh that tetra gets pulled up into the foam in fact a lot of people aren't aware of this uh that um if you uh pour a beer okay and you get that nice foamy head up on top if you take your finger and 
grab some of that foam and taste it, it'll be a lot more bitter than yeah. the beer itself because the hop acids uh, get pulled up into that foam. And that's why Tetra is very good at, at foam enhancing is because, you know, that foam molecule, if you will, is a lot more nonpolar than an isoalpha acid foam. Uh, it, it takes a longer time for it to collapse. And then it'll also uh, cling and stick to the sides of the glass better. And that's exactly what happens in, during fermentation is that during you get foaming during fermentation, the tetra gets pulled up into the foam, right? It'll stick to the walls of the fermenter. And then when you transfer the beer, you'll lose some of the tetra on the walls of the fermenter, but you'll also lose a lot of tetra onto the yeast. In fact, we did some really interesting uh, analysis on uh, brewer spent yeast, and it's amazing the amount of hop acid that's attached to the yeast. I mean, there's a lot of ISO attached to it. I think we saw something like, I'm going to think about something like around 600 ppm of ISO onto the yeast. Uh, the alpha was around like 800 uh, ppm, and, uh, and beta acid was like around 900 to 1,000 uh, ppm. So, yeah, the hop acid's really, really will absorb and stick to the yeast. And that's primarily one of the reasons why, you know, your efficiencies are, are really low in brewing. Okay, how about some tips for brewers who might want to try adding some of these products post-fermentation? Yeah, so what you really need is a, a metering pump. Uh, and uh, I think, and again, a, a metering pump, and you want to uh, dose the product uh, into the beer stream. It is being transferred from like one tank to another. And if you can add the product uh, over like 80 to 90% of the beer transfer time, it'll ensure that you're not having like localized high concentrations of the hop acid in the beer. Because again, hop acids aren't extremely soluble in beer. So if you can dose it over 80 to 90% of the beer transfer time, that's really key. Uh, the other thing to make sure you do as well is uh, that the beer is relatively clear. Uh, you don't want to be dosing into beer that has, let's say, yeast counts of over a million cells per mil. And you also don't want to dose it into beer that contains any kind of like absorbance like silica gel or, or PVPP. And uh, the other thing you want to do too is as you're transferring the beer and dosing the hop product into it, as that beer gets transferred into that receiving tank, you want to make sure you have some positive pressure on that receiving tank so that way um, you don't get some foaming from the beer being all mixed up you know, in, in there. Because if you get foaming in that receiving tank, the same thing's going to happen is a lot of those hop acids will stick to the walls of the fermenter and slowly drop out over time. All right. What about, you've got some um, watch outs for folks who might be, um, might not think about the effects of using um, CO2 um, as they're, um, you know, adding some of these products. If you're going to be dosing, you know, any hop product uh, into your beer post-fermentation, uh, you want to make sure that, you know, the area in which you're doing the dosing doesn't have high concentrations of CO2 in the air. Um, and, and, the, and it's primarily because um, carbon dioxide will react with potassium hydroxide, which is uh, the base that we use to make the potassium salt of these hop acids. And so when we formulate these hop acids uh, in water with potassium hydroxide, uh, usually the uh, pH of that solution is around nine and a half to about 10. Well, what happens is that CO2 will react with 
uh, the potassium hydroxide that's in the solution and convert it into potassium bicarbonate. And potassium bicarbonate buffers at a pH of about seven and a half. Well, at seven and a half, uh, these hop acids aren't very soluble and they start to come out of solution. So we always recommend people to, uh, you know, purge, you know, their, their tank or the drum if they're using uh, our hop product uh, with nitrogen. And uh, so that way uh, you don't have any reaction going on with the uh, carbon dioxide. We've had some customers uh, like craft brewers will take like a, a Cornelius keg, for an example, and uh, they'll add the hop product to that. And then uh, they can push it into the beer using nitrogen. Uh, and that's a kind of a, a quick and dirty way of, of adding the product as well if, as if, if you don't have a metering pump. But uh, we recommend a metering pump. Uh, it's a little bit more accurate. If I'm in a small brew pub or something like that, and I, I want to add some uh, a little bit of, let's say, alpha to my hazy IPA to boost up the foam, uh, could I add it just at the same time? Let's say I'm going to do some late active fermentation dry hopping. Could I add it at the same time and just, ex- you know, like kind of like you said earlier, kind of accept the fact that it's not going to be 100% efficient because I'm going to lose some, you know, to yeast and whatnot. Um, but would the mixing, uh, you know, from the residual fermentation be sufficient if I were to add it in along with dry hops? You could, but it's, yeah, it's not recommended. Uh, you would lose a lot, uh, a lot of your, uh, you know, your alpha or your tetra. Uh, in fact, okay. for dry hop beers, uh, we would generally recommend tetra over alpha uh, because tetra just does a much better job. Um, okay. Yeah. Why, why is that? Why is tetra better than dry hopped beer? Well, because you already have a lot of alpha in there in, in dry okay. hop beers, you know, adding so another four. Diminishing returns. Yeah, if you add another four or five ppm, it really doesn't do anything. Uh, whereas uh, with the four or five ppm of Tetra, it really does something. So Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, one of the things we found with the alpha is that um, it really works better in like lower IBU beers. So if you have a beer that's under 20 parts per million, uh, uh, ISO or, you know, under, tw- or under 20 uh, IBUs, uh, you know, the alpha works very well. Uh, but when you go over that uh, 20 IBUs, then all of a sudden uh, the alpha doesn't seem to do as much. Whereas the Tetra always seems to improve foam regardless of the uh, starting IBUs. You know, when I give talks on specialty hop products to craft brewers, because they're aware of, you know, the, some of the specialty hop products that are out there, but they're not aware of all of them. Whenever I come across the topic of Tetra and foam enhancement, usually that's the one product they're very interested in. Uh, and again, it's I think it's because like any brewery, there's always one or two beers that you brew that the foam just isn't working. <laughs> and so, you know, when, when you say, wow, here's something that could make it work, you know, then that's that's really uh, it. So we, we are getting definitely a lot of more craft brewers interested in uh, looking at our Tetra product uh, for that reason. That was John Paul May here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you want to learn more about other advanced hot products, check the show notes for a link to John Paul's on-demand WBC presentation, where he covers a lot more ground than just foam-enhancing hot products. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries, and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. 
If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use promo code BEER2021 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. 